Let's pray together. What an astounding thing, Lord, that you would, although being mighty God, choose to become a humble, helpless baby. And we thank you that you did this out of love for us. We thank you that Christ the Lord was born to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men, but that that peace would come at the cost of your own life. And we worship you and we praise you for that. And God, I pray that our, our eyes and our hearts would be directed to you and that in Christ this child we would see mighty God and we would be encouraged by that. That we would know your sovereign goodness, your provision for us, your conquering power over death and sin and evil. And that we would be assured that you can bring us home, that you will take us through every trial and difficulty because you became man like us and you conquered. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the humanity of Jesus today, that um, our hearts would just be led to awe and wonder and worship. And we pray that the name of Christ would be lifted high. Amen. Why don't you open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 1. So today, obviously, is the beginning of Advent, which means that we're going to pause our series in Genesis. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be just reflecting on the birth of Jesus as we anticipate his coming on Christmas Day. And I really enjoy doing this each year. Um, you know, maybe you just see this as some form of kind of church tradition. But I enjoy doing this not because it is a tradition, but because Advent is really rich in meaning for us as Christians. Um, the Jewish people in the time of Jesus' birth, they were waiting. They were a people who were waiting They'd been told by the Old Testament prophets hundreds of years before that one day God would send a Savior, a Messiah. And for more than 400 years, they'd been waiting for that Messiah to appear. And in the birth of Christ, all of that waiting, all of that anticipation finally came to an end. God, our Savior, stepped into our world bringing with him grace and truth and also the way into the kingdom of God. And so Advent means arrival. And we celebrate this season each year because like the Jewish people of old, we as Christians are awaiting people. Even as we go about our busy lives and we watch the calendars kind of roll by as life is busy, it's crucial that we at least pause at some points and remember that we are awaiting people. We await the return of our King. We await the second coming of Christ. We await the arrival that was promised to us. Just as our Savior was born into the world 2,000 years ago in that little town of Bethlehem, after such a long period of waiting, Christ is going to come again, and he's going to come soon. He's not going to come through a humble, miraculous virgin birth like it happened in Bethlehem all those millennia ago. 
But this time he's going to come and he's going to come in his, glory, in his glorious appearance as our revealed King of kings and Lord of lords. And we wait for him. So I really enjoy this time of year, pausing together as a church during the month of December to remember, like those faithful believers of old, those Jews who did anticipate the coming of their Savior, their Messiah, that we are like them. We, we wait. Christ came once in humility centuries ago as a humble baby born to Mary, and he's going to come again soon in all of his glory to be acknowledged and worshipped by his people. And so as we begin this Advent season, I think it would sort of serve us to simply reflect on this question regarding Advent. Are we ready? I'm not really going to spend more time thinking about that question but I, this morning, but I do want to present it to you. I want you to consider, are you actually ready? I mean, if Christ were to come this December, would you be ready for him? Or would you have to admit that you're distracted by many other things? Would you have to acknowledge that you weren't quite prepared? You maybe need a little bit more time. Or you wish that you had got things kind of cleaned up before he came? Well, let's read our text this morning from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 through 38. And um, if you're a guest with us this morning, if for some reason you don't have a Bible, we normally have them on our welcome table. They are still in process of being delivered since we ran out. So I encourage you to look this up in a phone app or something like that. And uh, if you join us next week, we would love to give you one of our Bibles. But join with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So during this Advent season, we're going to look specifically at Christ from a couple different angles. This morning, I want to look at Christ the man. Christ the man. As Christians, we believe that God entered into our world as a man through both a miracle 
and also through natural human means. And this God-man who came to us in this child Jesus, he was not part man and part God, but somehow mysteriously he was both full God and full man all at the same time. And this is a truth that might seem irrelevant to you. You might kind of wonder, like, what does it matter? But I assure you, in fact, it is essential to our Christian faith, and so much so that the first doctrinal arguments that defined the church in the first few centuries were all about the humanity, the full humanity, and the full divinity of Christ. The church has fought hard to keep these truths together. Now, I kind of admit, from me personally, I think it's easy for me to think about Christ as fully God. I mean, Jesus was perfect. He rose from the dead. He never sinned. He healed people through incredible spiritual power. If you read his teachings, you see quite clearly he was more brilliant and more intelligent than any person who has ever lived. He did impossible things, and he made impossible claims, except for anyone who might, in fact, be God. And so I think for me, it's very easy for me to understand that Jesus was God. But when it comes to thinking about Jesus as a man, I find that I actually struggle with that concept quite a bit. Um, Not too long ago, my family watched a number of episodes of the show, The Chosen, and I'll admit, too, that I find most, defiction, most depictions of the life of Jesus pretty cringeworthy. I really kind of struggle. And so when somebody was like, man, Grady, you got to watch The Chosen, you know, it's really good. I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be into that. I, I'm, I'm quite content with the picture of Jesus that I find given to me in God's Word, in the Gospels. And I don't really need to, like, supplement that with some TV show. Um, But eventually we did watch it, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I think as a pastor, I could recommend it to you. Uh, You know, I think we need to understand that our view of Jesus needs to be framed and constrained and ultimately guided by and strictly taken from Scripture. You cannot add to your view of Jesus anything other than what God's Word tells us. Scripture alone is sufficient. But I think that in this series, they did a pretty good job of sticking to this script, God's Word, and then supplementing it with some sort of fictional backstory of some of the disciples. And so, in that sense, I could recommend it to you. But there was one thing that I really noticed as I was watching this series that kind of struck me. One area where I felt actually really uncomfortable. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it at first, but as I reflected on it, I realized it it sort of came to the surface what made me uncomfortable. I found myself often feeling like the picture of Jesus given to us in the show, The Chosen, was just a little bit too human. Jesus was a little bit too like an actual person. And it made me feel uncomfortable because, after all, Jesus was God. And I found myself uncomfortable watching this show because the way that Jesus interacts with people in the show is too human. Too much like 
a person that I might actually know. I mean, I really enjoyed the third episode in particular that focuses on Jesus loving the little children. And there's this scene where these kids are kind of spying on him and he's making these farting noise. Jesus is making these little noises to get the kids to chuckle and know that he's a safe person who would be the kind of person that they could spend time around. And there's other scenes where he sits around the table with people and he interacts with them like an actual person. Now, do understand, there is a danger in thinking about Jesus in human terms if that comes at the expense of his divinity. I think the liberal view of Christianity often wants to say that Jesus is very human, but he's not very godlike. And we should never think of Jesus as human in a way that subtracts from his identity as fully God. Interestingly enough, surveys of American Christians reveal that people who profess to be Christians in America, far too many of them, in fact a staggering number of them, believe that Jesus did not live a sinless life. And that is because too much emphasis has been made that Jesus was human, like you and me. And that's unbiblical. Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. But the more I thought about it, I realized that I often, I don't, I don't fall into that mistake of thinking of Jesus as not being God. I realized that often I err in thinking about Jesus in the opposite way. I think of him so much as God that I fail to remember that he is a man. I fail to think rightly about the fact that the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully man. And that too is an error because Christ was fully human. And again, for 2,000 years, the church has fought hard to cling to both of these truths and not sacrifice either of them. And I'll admit that they're mind-breaking truths. Both of them together are the kind of thing that if you think about them too much, you're going to start to get a headache. That Jesus was God, fully divine. And Jesus was man, fully human. Both at the same time. So today, as we're thinking about the coming of Jesus as a baby 2,000 years ago, and we continue our Advent waiting for him even now, I want to spend our time together just pondering this essential truth that Jesus was indeed fully human. I want us to be in awe of the fact that Christ the man is one of the great and wonderful mysteries of Christianity, of our faith. God could have chosen any number of ways to interact with the human creatures that he had made. But he chose this way. He chose for his son, one of the distinct persons of the Trinity, who is God, he chose for his son to be born as a baby boy, to enter this world as a fully human child. Now our text from Luke 1 speaks to this, I think, in verse 31, when the angel says to Mary that she will conceive, specifically in her womb, and she will bear a son, and his name shall be Jesus. All of those things are very human things. The baby will be conceived in your womb. He'll be a son. 
His name will be Jesus. He'll have a name. And then in verse 32, we're told that he'll reign upon the throne of his ancient ancestor, David, who also was human. And of course, when Mary receives this news, she's confused, she's perplexed, as probably any rational person would be. So she asks the question that we too would probably ask, how in the world can this be? How is it possible? How can the most high God, who is transcendent and other and unapproachable in his glory and spirit and unlike any of us, how can this God, who is most high, have a son by human means? And in addition to that, how can a virgin have a baby? Both of these things are impossibilities. Which is why we're told in verse 37 by the angel Gabriel that nothing is impossible with God. Not even the task of knitting together eternal God and human flesh in one fully human, fully divine person. Now Luke is very careful to mention that Mary was a virgin. He uses that word three times. I think that's very intentional. That's emphatic. And the reason is because Luke wants us to understand with absolute clarity that although Jesus was the son of Mary, he also was the son of his father who is God. And he is conceived, Jesus was conceived not by natural human means, meaning that God did not have some kind of sexual union with Mary to make this happen. It might seem weird that I even need to say that, but actually that's what Mormons believe. They believe that God the Father had a sexual union with Mary and therefore Jesus was conceived. And actually, uh, which we reject as Christians, of course. And Muslims claim that Christians believe that God had some kind of sexual union with Mary and that's how Jesus was conceived. But that's not what we believe. Rather, Scripture tells us that God sovereignly intervened through the Holy Spirit to make Mary conceive Jesus the child, even as she remained a virgin. That's a miracle. And that's why this is often attacked as a theological position by a world that does not believe in miracles. But this miraculous conception is absolutely essential to our faith, Because it means that Jesus was fully human by virtue of his human mother. And Jesus was fully God by virtue of his divine spirit, Father God. He had no earthly father because Mary was a virgin. But God himself supplied the means by which within the womb of Mary, Jesus would be conceived. Now think about this. Modern science has helped us understand a lot about this process. And part of that is that in order for a child to be born, you need a chromosome supplied by the mother and a chromosome supplied by the father. Women supply the XX chromosome and fathers have XY chromosome. And so for a female to be born, you get an X from the mother and an X from the father. For a male to be born, you get an X from the mother and the Y from the father. 
And so Mary in her flesh supplied the X chromosome that always comes from the mother. And God in his divine power supplied the Y chromosome that can only come from the father to produce a male child. And he did it by virtue of a miracle, supernatural means, in a very natural environment, the human womb. I should say the female womb. And in this act, the third person of the Trinity, who is God himself and has eternally existed without boundaries, without limitations, became the human male child, Jesus. Conceived in the womb of Mary, God eternal, taking on flesh. And although he knew all things, and he had all power from eternity past, Scripture tells us that he set aside these things. He laid aside his knowledge and his power and his boundless self-existence as God in order to become a man. And not just a man, but a codependent baby. And yet at the same time, he remained fully God. He retained all of his glory, all of his power, all of his knowledge, because he was still God in God's fullness. And yet being fully man, he was at the same time all under all of the limitations of natural human children. So much so that Luke himself records in chapter 2, verse 52, if you want to look there, that Jesus grew in both stature and in wisdom. That means bodily, he, he grew up, his body grew in stature, and in mind, he increased in knowledge and understanding. Now, the simple truth is that this union of God and man in the person of Christ, it defies explanation. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're like, I, I don't really, I'm not following you, Grady. It's not your problem. It's everybody's problem. This defies understanding. How Jesus can have two full and complete natures in one whole person is another human impossibility. But we've already been told that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And this is true, and it points us to the power of God. His power is beyond the impossible. Now the church calls this miracle of the person of Christ the hypostatic union. In case you were curious of the big theological term. Really it just means that in Christ there is one person. Yet within that unity Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not a mixture. He's not half and half. He is two complete wholes in one complete whole. Okay, but our goal today is not really to explore ultimately the divinity of Jesus. It's to explore the humanity of Jesus. To reflect and wonder at the truth that this child born to Mary is in fact a man. Fully man. So what does it mean to be human? There's so much that could be said about that. But I'll break it down into two ideas for you. Most basic to our understanding of being human is that we have a body. We exist in a material state. We are substantial, meaning that we are made of substance. God made Adam with a body from the dirt of the material creation that he had made. And Jesus Christ was not some ghostly apparition, 
Just like you, he was made of flesh and bones. Colossians 2.9 tells us that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that is all the fullness of God, dwelt bodily. Specifically that word, bodily, is used. All the fullness of God was somehow present right there in the incarnation of Jesus. Christ had a body just like mine and just like yours. As a baby, he would have done one of my favorite things to observe my baby children do when they were kids, which is like grab his toe and suck on it. I just thought that was like the cutest, weirdest thing. Jesus probably did that as a child who was discovering toes. He would have had to slowly learn to walk like a toddler. There would have been a moment where his parents too rejoiced at seeing him take his first steps. He would have had little teeny fingers that would wrap around the great big finger of his mother or father. Through his life, he experienced hunger and thirst. You know, the song Silent Night that describes the quiet baby. If you've had babies, you're like, what? That, that's not how it works. He would have screamed in hunger. He would have made his hunger known to his parents. Scripture is very clear that he slept. It tells us that he wept. He sweated. He bled. He felt exhaustion. He had eyes like you and I have that at various times would have perceived beautiful images of creation and familiar faces. His ears enjoyed the sound of music. And he would have used his own voice to sing songs of praise to God. He had arms like you and I that he would have used to embrace his friends in real affectionate hugs. And he would have used his hands to touch people that he cared about, like you and I do. And he felt pain. And he died. And he rose from the dead after he was buried like humans are typically buried. And so being fully human, Christ had a body. And he used it in many of the same ways in which you and I use our body. I find that interesting. But to be a human is also to have a soul. To be a human is to be not merely material, but also to be metaphysical. There's something inside a person that we cannot see that also makes them human. For all of the modern secular effort to claim that all that matters is the material world, nobody can tell you where your soul or your psyche or your heart or your mind really exist within your body. But to be human is to have that. We use words like mind or soul or spirit or heart. And whatever that thing is that is the metaphysical reality of being a person, Jesus had that too. He had a mind that had to learn, that had to acquire new knowledge, even though as God he knew all things as a human he had to learn to do math. Two plus two equals four. He had to learn to speak. 
as a true human child. He probably didn't open his mouth the first time and utter a five-syllable word. He probably struggled to form mama, dada. In the quiet parts of his inner self, like you and I, in what we might call our soul or our heart, Jesus felt things like joy and also sorrow. He knew friendship, and he also felt loneliness when he was abandoned. He experienced anxiety, and he also experienced hope. He had concerns, but he also felt peace. He thought thoughts. He had dreams, because that's what humans do. And he felt deep feelings. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is to the right in your Bible from Luke. And in chapter 2, we'll start in verse 17 when I know that everybody's there. Hebrews talks quite a bit about the humanity of Jesus, but we get a little picture here in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It tells us that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." The reason why Jesus needed to be human, fully human, was so that he could solve our human problem on our behalf as one of us. The fact is that our sin before God has cut off the human race from God. We are not rightly in fellowship with God the way God intended humanity to be. Sin has made a separation between us and God. But Jesus became man so that as man, he might stand in our place and represent us before God. And being fully human, he took upon himself in that representation all of the punishment and curse and consequence for our sin that rightly belonged to us. He became our substitute. He stood in for us, representing us for our sin before God. Although he was himself perfect, he became our sin in the eyes of God. And being also fully God, this punishment did not crush him like it would have crushed you or it would have crushed me. Like it would normally crush a mortal to bear the sins of all of humanity. No, with Christ, instead because he was eternally divine and fully God. He was able to swallow up in his divinity all sin, all evil, all death, so that his dual nature as full God and full man worked together to make him the only perfect substitute who could accomplish this. Perfectly able to be our representative and bear our sin because he was human. 
and yet perfectly able to stand up under the pulverizing weight of that sin because he was God. But there's another reason why Jesus had to be fully human, which the author of Hebrews mentions here. See, the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 18 of chapter 2 that Jesus is able to help us in our temptation. And I want you to think very carefully about what's being said here. We might read this and misunderstand this and wrongly think that we're being told that the only way that God could help us in our temptation is if God became a man and then understood what it's like to be human and to suffer temptation. The technical term for this is called standpoint epistemology, and it's garbage. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying here. The point here in verses 17 and 18 is not that God needed to become a man and experience what it's like to be human so that then he would be able to know how to help us. That diminishes the glory of God. No, the point is that if Jesus was only God then resisting temptation would not mean much to us as a human. His ability to resist temptation if he's only and fully God speaks nothing about my experience. This is a great gift to me that Scripture teaches this. God is not tempted by anything. But we're not God, and so that doesn't help me much. But Christ the man... Christ the man, who through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit walked his entire life without ever falling to temptation. Now that is something. That's incredible. That's almost unbelievable, isn't it? That a man would go his whole life without sinning, would stand up under temptation like you and I do in every moment of every day, and not once through 33 years of life, fall to that temptation? Don't you see? Jesus in his humanity conquered the flesh. A man who is like us, but who was victorious over all of the same kinds of struggles that we have. He did as a human what none of us could do alone. He walked in perfect righteousness, resisted all temptation, and lived a sinless life. Friends, not as God, but as a human. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that in this work as a human, Jesus gives us hope when temptation comes upon us. God didn't do this for God's sake. God did this for our sake. Through the power of God in us, then, we find help so that we too can resist temptation. This wasn't done to sympathize with us. No, it was done to show us that through the way of Jesus, victory is possible for us as well. And then you add to that that Christ represented us in taking on our sin so that when we do fail to walk in that way that Christ gives us as an example, we have grace to cover our sin in our failure. But we need to go one step further because there's a sense in which we need to say that Jesus was human, fully human, in a way that we will never be in this life. You and I, we are broken humans. I've, I know I've said this before and I like to explain it to people when I'm doing discipleship with people 
that we are actually subhuman. We're not human the way God intended humans to be when God made Adam. We will never achieve, achieve all that God intended for humanity in this life because we are born into sin. We live a sin-infused life. But Jesus did not have an earthly father, and therefore, in that sense, he was like Adam. Adam had no earthly father. Adam's father was God. And so it is with Jesus. Since Jesus had no earthly father, he had no indwelling sin. He had no sin nature. You and I, because we are children of Adam who sinned and who fell in rebellion against God, we are tainted by sin and we are guilty of sin from the moment we are conceived. But Jesus never received a sin nature from his father because his father was God. And so Jesus was more human than you and I will ever be. He was human like God made Adam to be human, perfect, sinless, given life for the sole purpose of serving God and bringing God glory. Turn with me to Romans 5, and we'll look briefly at this. You guys are, are good listeners. <laughs> when, I, when I write my sermons, I pray for you, because I, I realize sometimes I do, I have a tendency to go long and longer and longer, and listening is hard work, so... I salute you. When I'm like 40 minutes in and I'm telling you to turn to a new passage, it's like, oh, goodness. Maybe it's just me. Romans 5, verse 18. It says, Therefore, as one trespass or one sin led to condemnation for all men, that's Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. That's Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that's Adam and therefore us, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous, that's Jesus, and those who trust in him. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul here is talking about Adam and Jesus, and he's comparing the two. He says that through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, all humanity was plunged into sin, but now we have Jesus, the new and better Adam. Because Jesus was born of God, just like Adam, yet unlike Adam, Jesus never betrayed God. He never fell into sin. He never rebelled against his Father. And therefore, those of us who place our hope and trust in him receive from him a new nature that replaces the old nature of sin that we received from our father Adam. No longer are we children of wrath who carry on the rebellion of the man named Adam. Now instead we are children of grace who receive the love of God our Father because we walk in the same obedience of Jesus our Lord. Jesus the man. We as humans have been remade 
from the image of Adam who failed into the image of Christ who trusted God and received the gift of eternal life, not as God, but as man, raised from the dead. Through Christ, our connection to our earthly father, Adam, is broken off, and we are adopted by our heavenly father through grace. Okay, but there's one final stop that we need to make in our discussion this morning. In order for Jesus to be really human, he must face the most defining thing about us as mortals. In order to be truly human, Jesus must die. This child born to us at Christmas was born for the explicit purpose of dying a sacrificial life. You and I, we are born to live. But truly, we can say of Christ that he was born to die. And no human death has ever been as excruciating as the death that Jesus died. Martin Luther said of Jesus, no one has ever feared death as much as this man. And the reason is because you and I, we know God through grace. We stand before God shielded by grace. Or if you're a pagan and you deny God, then you are ignorant of what, you are in, of what is in store for you. God's face towards us as his children shines bright with kindness and affection. But on the cross, when Jesus died and bore the sins of the world, God's face was turned towards him with the most severe wrath the cosmos have ever beheld. Like standing 10 feet away from the blazing heat of the sun with nothing to shield you from its devastating radiation. And that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Jesus knew full well what his death would entail as he lived his life looking forward to it, knowing that his life would end suffering the agony of the fullness of God's wrath for sin. It was not the grave that made Jesus tremble like the grave might bring us fear. No, it was the wrath of God that he would bear as a man for all of humankind. And yet, even there on the cross, with death approaching him, even then Jesus clung to God in faith. Even as God poured out his wrath upon Jesus, even as God rejected him, Jesus clung to God in faith. At the birth of Jesus, the angels declared to the shepherds, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But what those angels failed to mention to those shepherds is the price, the staggering price that would come at achieving that peace and goodwill, the sacrifice of God's own son, what the angels didn't mention is that the child born that day in Bethlehem would one day die in Jerusalem in order to secure that peace on earth by staying God's wrath towards man. This wasn't peace that came with like the waving of a magic wand, my friends. This peace came through the gut-wrenching, blood-wringing, heart-ripping wrath that God has toward sin that you deserve, but that was placed upon Christ the man. 
And Jesus, the man, willingly, gladly, joyfully took it all upon himself. He bore it full force because he loves you and out of obedience to honor his Father. So how do we respond to all of this? Two things as I close quickly. First, be encouraged. Do you ever feel weary at your humanity? I definitely do. Be encouraged in your humanity. Jesus was human so that he could save us from our sins and also so that he could show us how to be human. And everything that you need is ultimately supplied to you in this child, Jesus. Both the forgiveness of sins that you need and also the power to please God that you need on a daily basis. It all comes to you freely as a gift from him. So press on. Press on to follow Jesus. Be encouraged that he has made every provision for you. And then second, let your heart just be filled with awe and wonder. This is an incredible reality. Don't let it be lost on you. Wonder at the majesty of it all. Who can comprehend the mystery of this? This child born to Mary by a miracle of God, he is truly human like you, and yet he is fully divine. He is God. He is very God of very God, and yet he is made like us in every way. He is son of the Most High, and he is son of Mary. He's holy, and yet he's wrapped in frail humanity. As we wait for Christ to return, let us just marvel at our God. Like Scripture declares, the Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let me pray. God, would you receive all glory and honor and praise from our hearts through the duration of this Christmas season as we think about Christ our Savior, the long-awaited one who came not like some angelic being in spirit but came born to Mary, born a man, like us in every way. Except that having God as Father, he was perfect. And we thank you that Christ not only made atonement for our sins, but also gave us an example of what it means to live as a human in a way that honors you, God. I pray that we would find deep comfort in the forgiveness of our sins and great encouragement in the provision that's been made through the example of Christ. I pray that we would walk in righteousness like he himself did. And we praise you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.